Hello there, welcome back. It's great to be with you. This is MLEX's weekly podcast, bringing you the top regulatory stories of the moment with the assistance of our team of reporters around the world. I'm James Paniki, a senior editor here at MLEX. Now, you don't need me to tell you that there's plenty going on in the United Kingdom at the moment, even without the death of Queen Elizabeth II. The country has a new Prime Minister. Her name is Liz Truss. She has replaced the controversial but always colourful Boris Johnson. This is an important story for our UK reporters because there are serious regulatory undercurrents for them to grapple with here. We've mentioned in earlier podcasts the political backlash against the work of regulators in the UK, the assumption being that, if nothing else, Brexit had the purpose of ridding the country of the European Union's red tape. The argument is that to get Brexit done, as it were, regulation needs to be less burdensome and more business-friendly, and Truss has staked her reputation on making that happen. Two of our London-based reporters have written some fine pieces of analysis dealing with this very issue. Jakub Krupa is a senior correspondent covering data privacy and security as well as future mobility. He joins us today from Munich, where he is indeed covering a future mobility conference. And Fiona Maxwell is MLEX's chief correspondent covering financial services from the City of London, and they join us now. Jakub, let me start with you. What should we expect from this government in very broad terms? I think we need to remember who the new Prime Minister is. Liz Truss, the new Prime Minister who replaced Boris Johnson, is a long-standing advocate of the regulation of all sorts. And Brexit, bizarrely, she's a newly converted Brexit um, advocate in 2016 when the UK voted on the referendum uh, about uh, the European Union. She voted to stay and she campaigned um, for the UK to stay. But she's now one of the leading figures of the Brexit camp and the kind of people saying, you know, we left the European Union, we need to make the the most out of it, and therefore we need to deregulate. And if you think about the specific situation she's in, she's, you know, we've had Theresa May, we've had Boris Johnson, she's the third Prime Minister, um, delivering Brexit in one way or another, and she's particularly keen to prove her point that this is very much possible, that with this government, full of Brexiteers, such as Kvasi Kvartank, who's the new Chancellor of the Exchequer, so in, in normal speak, finance minister, um, there's, there's loads of hopes there that finally, 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 all the promises made for the last six, seven years about you know how wonderful Brexit will be for the UK, she will deliver on that. However, politically, she comes from a very different position, from a very divided Conservative Party, the government that has no public mandate. So it will be very interesting to see how she tries to balance all of that together. But very much, if, if we are to expect one thing from this government is that it will do whatever it can to deregulate wherever it can from European regulations and change things, sometimes even for the sake of changing them, not necessarily for the sake of actually achieving something for that, but just to prove the point that Brexit in 2016 was the right decision and the UK should benefit from that. Fiona, let me bring you into the conversation now. What does the new government mean for financial services regulation in particular? As Jakob mentioned, it's you know deregulation really is the the name of the game here, um, and I think obviously I I write about financial services, so I can't say whether this really is the case for other policy areas. But I I feel as though financial services um, is one of those areas where deregulation really will kind of hit hardest. 
Um, even before Liz Truss was appointed prime minister, it was quite clear that the agenda for financial services would be as much of a breakaway as possible from EU regulation and um, as well as that, more influence from the UK government over financial regulators in the UK as, as they get more powers. It's important to note kind of nothing is, is finalised yet in terms of uh, post-Brexit financial regulation in the UK or in terms of you know that, that, that architecture of how regulation is made. But if what Truss and the new finance minister, um, who Jakob mentioned, Kwasi Kwarteng, if what they want becomes a reality, we could see some pretty major changes. So on, on the one side, there's potential changes to the Bank of England's independence in terms of its monetary policy mandate. But on the regulation side, which is where I'm a little more interested, um, it's possible there will be a, a mass merger of um, kind of the three major financial regulators. That's the, the PRA, the FCA and the payments regulator, which would take UK financial regulation essentially back to the pre-crisis era. So, I mean, we're looking at kind of 15 years ago now um, and you can already hear the, the cries of history being forgotten and, you know, history repeating itself. Even if it doesn't get to that kind of extreme level, the government is trying to give itself more powers to intervene in matters of financial regulation. And that in itself really could make a massive difference in just the direction of rules for banks, insurers, and and, and generally the city. And I think, James, that's one, one thing that we see across this government. There's this intention that if they can intervene, they should intervene. If they can be more hands-on, they should be more hands-on. If there is a way of government to exert more direct control over regulators, and tell them essentially, these are the things that we care about, these are the things that we believe the people care about, these are the things you should deliver, that's what they will do. And we can see that in a number of other fields as well. There's data protection reform in the UK, long talked about, there's been lots of concerns, even from the regulator itself, about whether they will be independent under the new regime. Finally, it seems to be resolved in one way or another, but still certain questions about, you know, would the government saying this is a priority, will the regulator jump on this and, and say, well, now that's a priority for me as well. It very much looks like that that will be the case. Similarly, you know, when we talk about regulating internet and digital services, there's the controversial content moderation regulation that is um, you know, taking shape in the UK Parliament, the online safety bill. Again, it, 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 you know, it's all about removing harmful content online. I guess we would possibly agree on what is harmful in general, general terms. But then there's also this category of legal but harmful content, which is obviously very, you know, in a, in a shady area of like, what, 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 that, what does it actually mean? And obviously for uh, campaigners for free speech, for example, when they say, you know, we, we wouldn't feel comfortable with the government saying, you know, this is legal but harmful, so therefore you, Facebook, you, Twitter, you, YouTube, you have to remove that. Uh, but very much we'll, we'll, we'll see that Ofcom again has been raising concerns about are we going to be really independent in this new regime? Are we really going to have um, you know, the possibility of saying no essentially to the government? So I think, I think that's, that's, that's the big thing that we, we are seeing there. There's this very much idea of like if we as a government can yeah, be more hands-on, um, ex exert control, we'll do it. We'll, uh, enough of regulators acting independently. We need to join them up. We need to make sure they... They, you know, they, they are in a, in a lockstep with the government. Is that the right approach? I think now lots of people will be asking that question. Now, Fiona, adding to that, there's the issue of the government looking to gain additional influence over the regulators. This is something that you and I have discussed on this podcast before. So let me ask you uh, both whether that trend 
is still likely to be visible under the new uh, Prime Minister. Fiona, let's start with uh, financial services. Uh, yeah, so I mean, the, the short answer to that is uh, absolutely very much so. Um, what we're looking at in um, kind of the financial services world is what has been dubbed um, a call-in power. And it will be contained in the Financial Services and Markets Bill. That's basically the UK's uh, UK's post-Brexit financial regulatory architecture bill. Uh, that's currently going through Parliament still, so, so not finalised. But this, this call in power in its broadest form is the ability for the government to step in, say to the regulators, nope, we don't like what you're doing, here's how it should look. Um, now, that wasn't in the original uh, draft bill, um, because at the time it was proposed, Boris Johnson was still prime minister. So although there was this this theme of you know deregulation back then, the power was kind of suggested. Um, it was clearly discussed behind the scenes, but it was ultimately left um, to trust to decide. Um, and, and it looks as though uh, she's keen to progress with that power. And just, you know, in terms of why the government is doing this, um, I guess you can look at it from two points of view. A a cynic might say the government just wants more power over financial services regulation, which is a hugely important policy area. You know, dialing down some areas of regulation could make London a more attractive place to do business. It could increase the profitability of financial institutions and boost the economy. But, you know, um, pragmatists or, you know, the other side might argue that because regulators have been given more power following Brexit to write the regulation, that they, they need more oversight, they need more accountability. And the government is elected, regulators aren't. And they're just making sure regulators don't get too excited by these these new powers that have been given to them to basically write the, the rules, which kind of used to happen actually in the EU. So there is a lot more. Um, the government is clearly looking to exert some more influence here. Um, and, you know, the, the, the why is, um, is a question that we can't fully answer. And Jakob, is that the case also when it comes to privacy and the ICO, the Information Commissioner's Office? Absolutely, yes. I mean, again, there's this idea by the government that we know what we need to do and we got the political mandate to do it. So if we need to tell the regulator in more explicit terms, then perhaps we will. And, and we, can, we can see that, again, I mentioned earlier the data protection um, regulation um, being reformed in the UK. Very, very uh, big part of that you know, was about concerns whether the ICO under the new leadership of New Zealander John Edwards will be independent from the government given that there are certain powers given to ministers could make it look like it's not really independent. And similarly, the, the whole online safety regime, when you, when you intervene in the online space, saying, you know, this is not okay, this is harmful, we should remove that. There's, a, there's obvious questions like, what, what are the limits of what the government should be doing there? And again, Ofcom, uh, who will be the regulator of that regime, is very much asking questions like, okay, you know, we, we get the general picture of what you're trying to do here and like, what are the, what are the general rules here? But obviously, if, whenever you have this political power given to the Minister or Secretary of State in the UK, to, to, to direct the regulator. That's where, that's where it all becomes political. And, and we can see that pattern of like the new UK government trying to intervene in more, more things and more areas quite often. You know, even if you think about the, the, the current energy crisis, there's a very big intervention in the energy market coming from the government, essentially imposing a cap of sorts, or as they call it, the price guarantee for energy. So there, there's very much the idea that the government can control from very much from the centre of of, of power in Downing Street, saying, you know, these are the things that we care about, that these are the way, that's the way we're going to sort it out. And so, Jakob, what you're saying, though, is that this is not just on the drawing board. There's already evidence that uh, this 
power grab, for lack of a better expression, on the part of the government uh, in terms of its relationship with the regulators, that that's already been felt. Absolutely, yes. But I think what's interesting here is what Fiona said as well, is that, you know, when you think about, from one one point of view, is that, yes, it's power grab, the government's trying to intervene and meddle with the regulators, that's not surely not right. From the other point of view, the government is essentially, essentially saying, we're going to essentially do a sort of common sense check on you guys. So whatever you do as a regulator, we'll have the power to say, come on, that that's just that's just ridiculous. You shouldn't be doing this. Um, and, and I think that, that kind of political check on that is very much part of the whole debate that we've had since Brexit with, the, with so many ministers and prime ministers saying, you know, EU regulation was generally good, but it was overly prescriptive and it led to bizarre results. We need to correct that. And I think particularly in, on digital and data protection, the UK keeps saying essentially we'll have a similar standard, but we'll write it in a way that is much more business friendly less difficult to manage, less difficult to implement, and we'll have that reality check through ministers. Now, again, obviously, you can see how this can go wrong with, with ministers overstepping the mark. But, but essentially, that goes into the tradition, uh, and maybe Fiona will be able to, to say more about this, in the tradition of UK governments being like, you know, we don't need to prescribe everything like hundreds of pages. We can, we can have some sort of different approach here. I think the point that Jakob brings up is really interesting because that very much is what is happening in financial services post-Brexit. So um, the idea is the way that regulation will be written is the Treasury kind of sets out these uh, broad policy aims um, and then the Bank of England, the FCA, payments regulator, whoever it might be, kind of go away and they write these rules. Um, And I think if you look at that in itself... It's the finance ministry entrusting the regulators to to be the experts. And I, I you know, I, I think most people would say, OK, great, that makes sense. But then we look at what they're doing next. And that's kind of coming back to this intervention power, um, the call in power, as I mentioned earlier. And uh, last week, the parliament was told um, in a reading of the, the draft bill that the finance minister would formally amend this bill to include the power. Um, and essentially what it will do if if it is is finalized in the form they want it to be it will allow the finance ministry to make amend or revoke rules where there are matters of significant public interest um it's 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 basically up to quarting now to formally make this amendment amendment and it's up to the entire parliamentary process to see how it ends up but i think just just bringing it back to yes the theme of um the government you know setting a framework and then the experts writing the technical rules, it's almost, I mean, you could probably argue it's a little bit undermined by the fact that the experts write the rules, but then actually the government can come back in and say, no, we're we're revoking these rules because we don't think they work politically. Let me ask you both in the remaining minutes that we have at our disposal uh, for a quick comment on what we should look out for over coming months. Maybe Fiona, starting with you. Uh, yeah, so I'll I'll just bring it back to the the, the bill that I was just mentioning. So um, that's that's not a done deal yet. Um, it had its second reading in Parliament uh, last week. Um, it still needs to be amended by the Finance Minister, um, and then it it kind of remains to be seen whether parliamentarians will let that through. Um, so it, it goes through lawmakers in the House of Commons, in the House of Lords, um, and, and it's all to play for, really. I, I mean, the provision itself could end up not being in there at all. It could end up being in such loose wording that, you know, it's 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 there, but in practice it's never used, or it, it could end up being as powerful as the government seems to want it to be. And I think the thing to really look out for here is what counts as 
the public interest. So the government can essentially intervene where there are matters of significant public interest. What does that mean? Um, It would have to be a very clear definition, I would say, for this not to just be a kind of blanket, we the government have complete control over everything you do. So that's uh, that's what I'll be looking out for um, as this, this goes through Parliament. And Jakob, what about you? I think my answer would be similar. First, I would say, let's look out for how the government calibrates these proposals, both on data protection and content moderation. Um, both bills have been delayed over the summer, obviously, with the change of the government, the change of the Prime Minister. We are yet to see how what's the final shape, what's the final wording there, how it's going to work in practice, if it's going to work in practice, because there's been some opposition to um, at least the content moderation bill, so the online safety bill, uh, from within the Conservative Party. So, so I think that the, how, how it's going to be calibrated and how the exact wording comes out of the legislative train, as they call it, uh, I think that that will be one thing. But also, you know, as, as the famous boxer-turned-philosopher Mike Tyson said, everyone has a plan until they get punched in the face. <laughs> and this government will get punched in the face this, this fall and this, this winter. With the, you know, Obviously, we've now had the death of the monarch, but we have the impending cost-of-living crisis, the energy crisis, loads of problems that this government will have to sort out and they will, they will have to sort it now. But my question is how this will affect the way they handle that kind of legislation we're talking about here, whether they essentially realize at some point that we don't have the time, the energy, the intellectual power to, to, to deal with all these vague definitions that we put into legislation because we just we just keep to keep dealing with other stuff and we need to deal with it really quickly. Uh, because as the government, obviously, at the end of the day, what gets you elected in, in you know next elections in two, three years' time is probably more energy than, for example, digital regulation. So I think that's something that I would, I would look out for as well. How does government is faring with all these crises that we know are coming over the next few months and how this affects the way they work on that technical legislation that we talked about today? Fiona, Jakub, we're clearly in the midst of a moment of great political and institutional upheaval and we're so lucky to have both of you helping us to make sense of it all. Let's catch up again very, very soon. Thank you. Thanks, James. Fiona Maxwell is MLEX's Chief Correspondent covering financial services from London. Jakob Krupa is a Senior Correspondent covering data privacy and security, along with Future Mobility, also from London, but today he was joining us from Germany. Fiona and Jakob's analyses are ready for you to read and enjoy. All you have to do is head for the MLEX website, mlexmarketinsight.com. That's M-L-E-X marketinsight.com. Click on the News Hub tab, which will take you to the very best of MLEX's reporting and analysis. There's also an archive of this humble podcast, and I encourage you to go back through some of the programs from the past year and see if there's anything that still fires up your imagination. And if you haven't done so already, you can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify and Stitcher. Sadly, that's where we have to leave things for today. Next Friday, we'll be unwinding, or at least we'll be talking about unwinding the massive Illumina Grail deal with our Brussels-based M&A reporter, Natalie McNeilis, who's always got a good story to tell that should be fun. And a bonus edition of the podcast should be coming into your feed very, very soon. Laurel Henning will be having a chat with a few of the authors of MLEX's latest special report, reviewing the progress of the GDPR, the European Union's all-encompassing privacy legislation. I hope you can join us for that. From me, James Panicki, and everyone here at MLEX and LexisNexis, thank you for your company. I'll see you again very soon. Bye for now.